Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We have been, as a church, going through a series of sermons on uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and Pastor Joe has been preaching these sermons with the idea that we as a church, we are not um, a church that needs to have a mentality of a bunker mentality, where we just sort of hunker down and wait until this, um, this season of pandemic is over. But rather instead, we could have a greenhouse mentality. We could have a mentality where um, we believe that God could be growing us during this time. I was thinking about uh, the Franklin Park Conservatory right now and um, how there are so many plants in the conservatory who needed to be in this greenhouse space to be able to be free from the honestly really bad spring weather that we've had here in Ohio but in the in this greenhouse environment they've been able to grow in, in a way they couldn't otherwise and so the question we've been asking is, is it possible for us to be able to grow during the season in ways that we may not be able to otherwise and so we've been doing this series on the fruit of the spirit trying to uh, explore how God might be wanting to grow us more into the image of his son and uh, the sermon that Joe was preparing for this week, he was planning to talk about the fruit of the spirit of, of patience. And uh, in place of that sermon, what I'd like to talk about is the patience of God. My idea is, is it possible if we ruminate and reflect a bit on the patience of God that that might complement or help us as we explore later what it means that uh, patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So when we think about the attributes of God, if you were to, to have a child approach you and ask you what God is like, my guess is that uh, the patience of God might, might not be the first characteristic or attribute that comes to mind. My guess is that uh, if a child asks you what God is like, you may respond by saying, well, God is loving, God is forgiving, maybe God is all-powerful, maybe God is all-knowing, maybe God is holy. All of those things would be true things, true ways to describe the character of God. But we don't often think of God as being a patient God. That may not be the first attribute that comes to mind when we think about what God is like. But is God patient? When we think about God, do we believe that he is a patient God? A season of my life where I struggled with patience was during my freshman year of college. I had moved into the residence halls, and um, I had a roommate that I had never met before, and overall, he was a good guy. We got along well, but it didn't take very long into the school year to realize that my roommate was not going to be the most tidy or clean uh, roommate. Some of you have had maybe similar experiences uh, in undergrad and college, but um, 
And I and what's interesting about me saying this even is that uh, Elizabeth would be the first to tell you that uh, it's not like I am the most clean or tidy person at all. But this roommate really took things to a whole other level. And what began to happen as the months went by is he developed something in the room that I began to call, uh, at least in my heart, <laughs> I began to call the chair o' clothes. Now the chair o' clothes was his desk chair. And every day, he would uh, take off his clothes and throw his clothes onto a huge pile on this chair. But he never did his laundry. The only time, I think laundry happened maybe two times throughout the year, and that only happened because his mom came and visited and took the laundry uh, and did it. And so the chair of clothes uh, became a pretty disgusting <laughs> thing to have in your room. I, I recall him waking up in the morning going to the chair of clothes and just kind of going through the different options, trying to find what seemed like the most clean or the least smelly clothes to put on that day. And uh, after a couple months, the least clean or least smelly is a very relative concept. But um, by the end of the year, I had lost my patience with, with my roommate and with the chair of clothes. Um, so much to the point that when I was leaving the residence hall for the last time, I didn't even say goodbye to my roommate. And honestly, that says as much about me and my own passivity and issues with conflict resolution than it does about my impatience. But uh, I was just so fed up with the chair of clothes, with the messiness of his life overall, that um, I had just had enough. I was a little bit disgusted. I had had enough. And I think... Uh, there, it's possible that we could wonder if God might think the same way about us that I thought about my freshman year roommate at the end of the school year. Um, we all have messiness in our own life, and we all have things that we might feel guilty about or feel ashamed of. And, and there's a part of us that may wonder, is God as impatient with us? Is he as fed up with us? as I was with my roommate my, my freshman year. Um, I was just in a group counseling session this past week where um, one of the other guys in the group was talking about the shame that he felt for how undisciplined he's been during this quarantine, during pandemic. He's, having, he's trying to work from home, and uh, he's not been able to be as productive as he wants to be, as he thinks he ought to be, and he feels shame about that. And on top of that, he's down the hall from his family and from his kids, and he feels shame about how he's not treating his family the way that he would like to treat them also. And so I think there are ways in which this pandemic and our experience of it brings about, uh, it, it almost creates a mirror that shows us our weaknesses and our brokenness and our sin in a way that maybe we couldn't see it before. And when that happens, sometimes we feel shame and we wonder, is God as disgusted with us as we can be with ourselves? And so what this message is about this morning is, what does God think of us in our mess? Is it possible that God might be a patient God? And before we look at this text from Luke 13, let me pray. God, I pray that you would speak through me during this time, and I pray that you would uh, give us hearts to hear and minds to hear what you would want to say to us, God. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at a parable of Jesus from Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. So if you want to grab a Bible or pull out your phone, feel free. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Jesus said this. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So this morning what we'll do is we'll do a quick walkthrough of what's happening in this short parable. And then we'll take uh, some moments and talk about how I think this, this parable might be a comfort to us. And then we'll conclude with some, uh, some thoughts about how this parable might be a challenge to us also. So as you heard the parable, you probably noticed that uh, the parable begins with Jesus talking about a landowner of a vineyard who has a fig tree. And the fig tree isn't bearing fruit. Now, uh, Jesus is speaking to an audience in, in Luke. Jesus is speaking to an audience that understands agriculture pretty well. It's, it's a society that was agriculture-based, and so people would be fairly familiar with uh, cultivating vineyards. Um, and so he's sort of speaking their language by using this metaphor of fig tree in a vineyard, not bearing fruit. But uh, what's also interesting that his primary audience at this time is Jews, and Jews would be familiar with the Old Testament, and in particular the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah actually uses this metaphor of a landowner in a vineyard pretty prominently. And it's very possible that Jesus is using this metaphor from Isaiah to uh, sort of load this parable with meaning. And I want to actually read to you some verses from Isaiah chapter 5 that kind of help us to, give a, uh, to have a little bit of the background of what Jesus might be doing with this parable. In Isaiah chapter 5 it says, I will sing to my love a song to my lover about his vineyard. My love had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He built a hedge around it, removed its stones, he planted a vine. He built a tower in the middle of it and constructed a wine press. He waited for it to produce edible grapes, but it produced sour ones instead. Indeed, Israel is the vineyard of the Lord who commands armies. The people of Judah are the cultivated place in which he took delight. He waited for justice, but look what he got, disobedience. He waited for fairness, but look what he got, cries for help. So already in Isaiah, Isaiah is using this metaphor of describing God like this landowner and the people of Israel, the people of God as being like this vineyard. And in Isaiah chapter 5, the people of God are God's vineyard that God delights in. But when God comes to see that they're producing fruit, it says instead of producing edible grapes, that they've produced sour grapes instead. And instead of being a people that reflected who God is to the world, they were a people who were self-consumed, 
and that they hurt other people rather than loved other people. And uh, this is an accusation against Israel in so many ways in Isaiah chapter 5. And so when uh, Peter begins to talk about a fig tree and a vineyard and a landowner, uh, it's very probable that Jesus' audience would sort of have that echoing in their ears. And of course, what, what does the landowner do? When he comes to see this fig tree in the vineyard, he notices after three years that it's not producing any figs. And when we, uh, when Elizabeth and I purchased our home here, like many first-time home buyers, we didn't really pay much attention to the yard. Uh, we didn't pay much attention to uh, the landscaping. We paid most attention to the house. <laughs> we wanted to, we wanted to pay most attention to what was true of the the structure of the house itself, but. As I hear happens, after you move in and you need to buy your lawnmower and begin to care for your yard, you sort of recognize some things that are true of your property that maybe you didn't pay attention to when you uh, signed the mortgage. And um, one of those things that was true for us is we ended up discovering that we had raspberry bushes in our backyard. And being a, a guy who grew up in the suburbs and didn't know anything about how to take care of raspberry bushes... I, uh, I kind of let the weeds grow around the raspberry bush and probably choke it down. I didn't know how to care for the raspberry bush or the raspberry bush at all. And so after a few years, um, it, I would go back out and try to see if it was producing raspberries and it, it, it was producing so very few that eventually we just kind of cut down the, the raspberry bush because... A raspberry bush is not necessarily very aesthetically pleasing. There's not much purpose for it in your backyard if it's, if it's not producing raspberries. And so in the same way, it seems like what's happening with this landowner as he's come to investigate the fig tree. And the purpose of a fig tree is to produce figs. And so he's saying to the gardener, listen, we've been waiting three years and it's not producing anything. It's just wasting, up. It's just wasting the ground. Let's, let's uh, chop it down. And in verse 8, there's this climactic shift that happens in the parable because that's where the gardener, the vine dresser, interjects. And what does the vine dresser say? He says, please give me more time. Give me another year. Let me do my work. Let me dig down deep at the roots of this tree. Let me dig down to the roots where this tree needs to be nourished where this tree could be could be helped to experience life. Let me let me put manure there. Let me put manure that will be fertilizer to this tree. Let's give this another year and see what happens. And if in another year it still doesn't produce fruit, then you can cut it down. And what happens in this parable is we see that the vine dresser or the gardener is different than the landowner in regards to how they want to approach this fig tree that's not producing fruit. When Jesus' audience might have been wondering, is God like the landowner? Is God like this landowner who is ready? He's just fed up with us. We're just wasting up the soil. Is God so fed up with us that he just wants to cut us down? Jesus' message in this parable is, no, God is like the vine dresser. God is like the gardener. God is so committed to us. In the midst of our lack of producing fruit, he's still so committed to us that he's going to do the hard work to dig down 
to reach the places, the deep roots of our, of our life, to try to give us life, to try to help us to flourish, to give us what we need, that we can produce the fruit that we were made to produce. That this is what God is like. He is committed to us. He is patient with us. If there's anyone who understood the patience of God, it's the Apostle Paul. And we actually read in the Assurance of Grace a really significant passage on the patience of God. Remember what, what Paul says. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. Did you catch that? So that Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, it's easy for us when we read this passage where, where Paul considers himself to be the worst of all sinners and to almost uh, see false humility in Paul, right? Because we look at our Bibles and we see that he's written half the New Testament, as important as any leader in the early church. Really, the worst of all sinners. Well, we have to remember that there was a season of Paul's life where he was sort of the equivalent of an ISIS terrorist. He was complicit in systematically killing innocent Christians. And so for Paul, the idea of God being patient with him in Christ is not a false humility. It's not uh, making himself out worse to be worse than he really was. But if, if God can be patient with a terrorist, if God can be patient with someone who is systematically terrorizing <clears throat> Christians, God can be patient with you. God can be patient with me. God can be patient with anyone. So how might this be a comfort to us? Uh, there are some of us, I believe, that need this assurance of God's patience with us. God's patience is for those of us who are struggling with addictions. God's patience is for those of us who are struggling with shame from, uh, from lack of self-discipline. God's patience is for those of us who struggle with anger towards the people that we love. God's patience is for those of us who feel shame about our own sense of impatience. We need God's patience, those, those of us who um, experience doubt, experience doubt as to whether or not uh, this whole Jesus thing really is even true. We need that assurance of God's patience with us also. In this parable, we see that the gardener knows that it's not going to be an overnight fix. This fig tree is not going to produce fruit overnight. The gardener knows that what's needed is time. What's needed is time and his own work to dig down and to nourish these roots and to help this tree to grow. And God wants to do the same thing in our life. He wants to dig down in our hearts, in the weediness of our hearts, and he wants to do what's needed to nourish us, to help us to grow, to, to be the people God calls us to be. But this passage is a challenge to us also. 
And it's a challenge to us because as we, we think about God's patience, we, we have to come to terms with the reality that our timeline is not always God's timeline. Our plans are not always God's plans. Uh, this coming summer, Elizabeth and I were planning to lead a, a summer mission project in downtown Chicago. Our, our organization crew had asked us to lead this summer mission with nearly 100 students and crew staff from across the country. And we would be living in downtown Chicago. We would be able to have our worship at one of the most beautiful historic churches in downtown Chicago. We would be able to be doing ministry on awesome campuses like the University of Chicago that looks probably more like a Harry Potter set than it does a typical Midwest campus. We were so looking forward to being able to to go to Chicago and to, to have this experience. And uh, in March, when news hit that Ohio State would be um, kind of shutting down its classes in person, at least, I, I at first said, okay, God, you you can um, sort of cancel the rest of this semester. I'm, I'm okay with that. But this really needs to be to come and go uh, by the time that, that summer comes. Um, but it wasn't meant to be. Uh, the summer mission was canceled, and uh, we had to let go of our timeline. We had to let go of our plans, and we just had to embrace that in the midst of what feels like a loss, that God is still up to something, that God is is committed. He has his own plans, his own timeline. He's up to good things. He is He's patiently faithful with us. And I know that this loss that I've described to you of not being able to go to Chicago, it doesn't compare with some of the losses that some of you all are experiencing. But this is the reality of the nature of God, that God doesn't always operate in our timelines. And it's a challenge to us to believe and to trust that he has good plans for us in his own timeline. And the last challenge for us is that as we think about God's patience, our response to God's patience is not to test his patience further. Uh, the fitting or the proper response to ruminating on the patience of God is actually repentance. In the larger passage in Luke chapter 13, we see that this parable comes in a larger narrative about repentance. And when we think about repentance, I think it's easy to think of repentance in, in, in sort of negative terms. In fact, I was thinking about how uh, when school is actually in session and people are on campus, on a warm day you could walk across the central lawn of Ohio State called the Oval, and you might find what the students call an oval preacher. And if there were one particular word sort of echoing in your ears as you walk by an oval preacher on the Oval, it would be the word repent. And that um, they love to to use that word, and to yell it, in fact. Sadly, I think most of the students and faculty who walk by um, don't even have the wherewithal to understand what that means, let alone be, let alone be inspired to actually <clears throat> repent. But I wanted to take a moment and, and talk about what, what repentance actually is. Because if, if we have a negative connotation associated with repentance, it's easy to think that God's call for us to repent means that God is a killjoy that God doesn't want pleasure for us, that he doesn't want good things for us, that he has uh, unrealistic rules that he wants us to follow because uh, he's sort of a dictator God. But that's not the heart behind 
repentance. And there's an author named David Benner who I think describes repentance really, really well. He says, Stepping onto the road of Christian spiritual transformation requires an encounter with the living God. This encounter may be gradual or may be sudden, but it will always involve a turning. Turning is repentance. Repentance, however, is never simply turning from something, sin, or a way of life. It must also involve turning to something. Christian repentance is turning to Jesus. Christian repentance is turning to Jesus. So as God calls us to repent in light of his patience with us, what we're turning from are not things that are, that are our best. What we're turning from are the things that are, are hurting us or hurting others. And what we're turning to is what we need most, the person of Jesus Christ. Um, when our daughter Brooke was young, she had a lot of toys in our house. And for whatever reason, she really, instead of playing with the toys, she would love to go over to the trash can and to try to get into the trash. And uh, she had a really hard time understanding why I would turn her away from the trash can and turn her towards her actual toys because she didn't quite grasp or understand that what was in that trash can were things that could really hurt her. And so was I a good parent? I mean, there may be other uh, examples you could give of how I'm a less than good parent. But in this case, I'd like to believe I was a good parent. Why? Because I, I didn't want her to get into the trash because I loved her. I wanted her to turn away from something that I knew might really hurt her. And in the same way, God's call to repentance in light of his patient toward, patience towards us is a call for our good because he loves us. And he knows that what we need most ultimately is Jesus. So if we need any more proof of God's patience with us, all we have to do is flip over a few chapters in the Gospel of Luke and look at the passion narrative, to look at Jesus on the cross, patiently undergoing the suffering and dying on the cross for our sins. And just as uh, the manure, which seems like a complete waste, it goes down into the earth and becomes fertilizer to bring life to the fig tree, so also Jesus' death seems like a complete waste. And he goes down into the tomb, but God resurrects him from the dead. And he springs forth new life by conquering sin and death. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.